Ms. Nunez, you or Minority Council recognized? All right. Mr. Castor, you're recognized. Thank you, Mr. Nunez. Ambassador, welcome. Uh, thank, you for, thank you for your service. Um, 33 years, an extraordinary career. Um, it really has been a, a remarkable um, a tenure for you at the State Department. I uh, also would like to thank you for participating here today. This is a, a, a crazy environment. Uh, this hearing room is uh, turned into a television studio. Um, before today, you spent uh, on the Friday the 11th, you were with us for early in the morning until I believe it was eight o'clock at night. People missed trains back to New York and it was um, a, a complete, um, a very complete day, so thank you. Um, you were serving a three-year assignment in the Ukraine, is that correct? Yes. And it began in uh, 2016 and was yes. scheduled to, to end in 2019? Yes, that's correct. Um, and no, nobody disputes that it's up to the president to decide who, who his envoy, uh, who his envoys uh, are to posts around the world, correct? I stated that clearly in my statement. Um, and you, you returned uh, from Ukraine on, on May 20th, 2019? That's correct. And your return coincided with the uh, inauguration of President Zelensky? Yes. And you remain employed by the State Department? I do. Um, and after you returned to Washington, the Deputy Secretary, uh, John Sullivan, uh, asked you what you wanted to do next, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And then you met with the Director General, Ambassador Perez? Yes, that's correct. Um, to identify a meaningful new assignment? Yes. Um, and, and you now serve at Georgetown University as a fellow? That's true. And this is a rewarding position for you? I'm very grateful to be in that position after what happened. Um, today is the uh, second big hearing um, for the Democrats' in impeachment initiative. Um, but we don't understand, or we, we do understand that you, you don't have a lot of facts and information relating to the, the, the part of this that we're, we're investigating. Um, and those are the events from May 20th up until um, September 11th, the release of the security assistance funds. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. So you were not part of the, the delegation to the inauguration. That was the day you returned. You were not um, part of the Oval Office meeting May 23rd, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, and you were not part of the decision-making relating to whether there would be a White House meeting with President Zelensky? That's correct. And you were not a part of any decision-making in the lead-up to the, the July 25th call? That's correct. Um, and you first learned about the call on September uh, 25th, is that correct? Well, I heard about the call, um, as I indicated in, in the first deposition, uh, from uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent. Um, and what did, what, did he, what did he tell you about the call? Well, um, as it turns out, it, it, it wasn't correct. But what I recall is uh, that he said um, that President Trump had 
uh, asked um, President Zelensky whether he could, you know, help him out, and um, which I understood to be these investigations, and uh, that President Zelensky had said that he is putting in a new uh, prosecutor general and that he doesn't control. Uh, I mean, this is approximately what he said. That that uh, that that person is an independent individual. Okay, and, and you learned about that before the call was made public. That's correct. Um, likewise, you, you were not involved in any discussions surrounding the uh, security sector assistance funds to Ukraine. That they, they were paused for about 55 days from July 18th to September 11th. No discussions. Okay. Um, in your uh, in your opening statement. On page nine, um, you, you stated, although then and now I've always understood that I served at the pleasure of the president, I still find it difficult to comprehend that foreign and private interests were able to undermine U.S. interests in this way. Individuals who apparently felt stymied by our efforts to promote stated U.S. policy against corruption, that is to do the mission, were able to successfully conduct a campaign of disinformation against the sitting ambassador using unofficial back channels. Do you believe that President Trump was aiming to weaponize corruption in Ukraine by removing you? I, I, I don't know that. Okay. Um, do you believe your removal was part of some scheme to, to make it easier for um, elements of the Ukrainian establishment to um, do things counter to U.S. interests? I think that's certainly what the Ukrainian establishment hoped. I think that in addition, uh, there were Americans, um, these two individuals, um, who uh, were working with Mayor Giuliani, Mr. Parnas, and Mr. Fruman, who have recently been indicted by the Southern District of New York, who um, indicated that they wanted to uh, change out the ambassador. And I think they must have had some reason for that. And do you think they were seeking a a different type of ambassador that would allow them to achieve some of their objectives? I don't know what other reason there would be. Okay. Is uh, Ambassador Taylor the type of person that would facilitate those objectives? No. So um, Ambassador Taylor is a man of high integrity? Absolutely. And he's a, he's a good pick for the post? He is. I would note that he is the charge out there, as, as of course you understand. So no ambassador has yet been, uh, or no candidate has yet right. been named uh, to, to the position. But he certainly has had a decorated career serving his country. Absolutely, a man of the highest integrity. Um, you, you testified about when you first learned that Mayor Giuliani and some of his associates were had a concerted campaign against you. When did that first come to your attention? We were picking up rumors uh, from Ukrainians. Uh, I, I think, you know, kind of in the November, December uh, 2018 time period. Um, but uh, then in January, February, and of course, March, uh, it became more obvious. Um, at some point, I believe you testified that um, Minister Abakov alerted you to, to this campaign? Yes. And when was that? Uh, he had, um, 
he had a, a conversation with me in February of 2019. Okay. And do you remember what he related to you? Yes. Uh, he said that uh, Mr. Lutsenko was uh, working with Mayor Giuliani um, through uh, these two individuals, Mr. Parnas and Mr. Fruman, that uh, they um, basically wanted to remove me from post and um, that they were, they were working on that. And, and did you have any awareness at that point in time of, of precisely why they were seeking your ouster? You know, I, I didn't. I, I didn't understand that at all because I had never met Mr. Parnas and Mr. Fruman. And um, so it was unclear to me why, uh, why they were interested in, in, in doing this. Were you especially, inf especially influential uh, implementing policies that stymied their interests in Ukraine? We're advocating for the, um, some sort of environment or policies that would, that would be adverse to them? I think that um, just, just the general idea that obviously U.S. ambassadors, U.S. embassies, one of our most important functions is to facilitate um, U.S. business abroad, right? Uh, whether it's trade, whether it's um, commerce, um, that, that's one of the things that we do. And, um, but, you know, everything has to be above board. Uh, we believe in a level playing ground and so forth, but we obviously advocate for U.S. business. Um, these two individuals, you know, with hindsight and what we learned later, looking to um, open up a, a new energy company um, exporting uh, liquefied national gas, natural gas uh, to Ukraine, never actually came to the embassy, which is unusual, uh, because that would usually be a first stop, going to the American Chamber of Commerce, going to the U.S. Embassy, get the lay of the land, see how we could provide assistance. Um, and was that source of frustration ever expressed to you, or did you just learn that separately? Uh, source of frustration? What right. do you mean? Uh, on whose part? On Furman and Parnas. I. I don't know that they were frustrated. I mean, I, I okay. frustrated by what? Well, you mentioned that they were they had business interests, and you know, I asked you whether you, they had been stymied by anything in particular that you had advocated for, or you were a roadblock to to them being successful. Yeah. I wondered if there was any connection. I'd never met them um, when um, when I heard those names for the first time, which was in February of 2019, I asked my team, um, the econ and the commercial sections are the ones who would usually meet with American businessmen um, and women, uh, and nobody had, had, had heard of them. So all I can conclude is that it was the general, um, general U.S. policies that we were implementing mm -hmm. that um, might have been of concern to them. Okay, and at any point, did, did you ever try to reach out to the Prosecutor General, Mr. Lutsenko, and find out why he was um, participating in, in this concerted campaign? No. And then why didn't you do that? I didn't feel that there was any purpose to it. Um, why not? He is, <clears throat> um, he clearly had, um, I would say, a an animus for doing this, and he was working with Americans. So I reached out to the American side, in this case, the State Department, 
to um, try and find out what was going on. When did you first realize that your relationship with Lutsenko had, had reached an adversarial point? Um, probably a, 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 around that time, maybe a little bit earlier. And this is March? Yeah. And what I would say, adversarial, that's a really strong word. Um, we uh, at the U.S. Embassy are, are visiting um, key people from the State Department and other agencies. We were pushing the Ukrainians, including Mr. Lutsenko, to do what they said that they were going to do when Mr. Lutsenko uh, entered office, mm -hmm. uh, that he was going to clean up the PGO and make reforms, uh, that he was going to bring justice to the uh, what they call the Heavenly Hundred, the people who died on the Maidan, uh, in 2016, uh, 2014, the Revolution of Dignity, and he was going to um, prosecute cases to uh, repatriate the 40, approximately $40 billion. It's believed that former President Yanukovych and his cronies fled the country with, and he didn't do any of that. And we, you know, kept on trying to encourage him to do the right thing. That's what the Ukrainian people wanted to do, him to do, and we thought it was a good plan and that he should do it. Um, and then you mentioned you, you contacted the State Department in late March. Was that under Secretary Hale? Um, so contacted about what? About the concerns you had about the campaign against you? I contacted the State Department uh, er, much earlier than that. I mean, it was an ongoing um, sort of discussion makes it sound very formal. Uh, we have many ways of going back and forth with Washington. Uh, and um, so, you know, on, on phone calls or um, uh, DVCs, we would have this discussion. When did you realize this? And, and if I could just amplify my answer, we had the discussion because we were concerned that Ukrainian policymakers, uh, Ukrainian leaders were hearing that, um, you know, I was going to be leaving, that, um, you know, there was maybe somebody else waiting in the wings. Etc. And that undermined not only my position, but our U.S. position. The Ukrainians didn't know what to think. And we need to be out there all the time, firing on all cylinders, to promote our national security interests. So it was a concern. And when did you realize this concerted campaign against you was a real threat? A threat? In a threat to, to your ability to do the job in Kyiv? Um, well, I would say that uh, the, um, you know, when you go into a meeting with somebody and, and they ask, are you going to be leaving, uh, that is concerning. Um, <clears throat> so that um, probably, I don't know exactly when that started happening, but in that time frame. And did you undertake any efforts to, to push back on this narrative, either inside the State Department or publicly? Uh, well, certainly with the Ukrainians, um, I said, you know, there's nothing to this. This is, you know, a, a distraction, and we are focused on, on the job. Our policy remains the same. Um, and, uh, yes, we had discussions in the State Department about this. In hindsight, do you, do you think you did enough inside the State Department to alert them to this, um, this mounting campaign against you? Uh, <clears throat> I did what I could. And what was that? Um, reached out to uh, the, um, the European Bureau. Uh, I think you've also heard that <clears throat> Dr. Fiona Hill was aware of, uh, of this as well, so the NSC, and, um, and they had 
other discussions with more senior people. Okay. <clears throat> did you get any feedback from, from your chain of command? I mean, did you engage um, Ambassador Reeker yes. under Secretary Hale? Yes. And yes. did you develop sort of a game plan to push back against these allegations? So, I mean, there, there are different time frames here that we're talking about. So, uh, fast forwarding to March, um, I did, when, when Under Secretary Hale asked whether I would consider extending, I did raise, uh, because I wasn't sure that he was aware of it, I wanted to make sure that he knew that uh, Mayor Giuliani had been uh, out there saying uh, things about me, uh, untrue things, and I wanted him to be aware of that. And he said, you know, he understood um, he still uh, was hoping that I could extend for another year. Uh, so that was early March, uh, and then fast forward uh, to, to you know, late March. And you know, the discussions about this issue continued, but obviously it became, once it became a public political story here in the United States, um, the tenor of everything changed because I think that um, the State Department felt that it wasn't manageable any, anymore and um, that uh, the, the more prudent thing would be um, for me to come back in July. Do you think there was anything you could have done differently to get ahead of the story and to lobby the secretary and his counselor, Mr. Breck Buell, that, that these, uh, there was a concerted campaign against you, that you didn't believe the allegations lodged were accurate and you needed their assistance? Uh, I think that Sure, maybe I could have done that, but I think they were aware. And as I subsequently learned from Deputy Secretary Sullivan, uh, the Secretary of State had been well aware of this since the summer of 2018. Um, the uh, corruption's endemic in the country of Ukraine, right? I would say that corruption is a serious issue uh, everywhere in the former Soviet Union. It's a post-Soviet legacy. Uh, and uh, we talk about it a lot in Ukraine because there's actually an opportunity to, um, to do something, to actually help the Ukrainians tackle the issue. They want to tackle the issue. In other countries, like Russia, you can't even talk about it. Um, so I think it's a post-Soviet legacy, and it's important to deal with it. And that uh, you testified rampant corruption has long permeated Ukraine's political and economic systems? Yes, that's a fair statement. And it's your belief that it should be the U.S. foreign policy to help Ukraine curb its corruption problem? Yes, because it's good for the Ukrainians, but it's also in our interest. And anti-corruption efforts, you mentioned, uh, serve a national security purpose? I believe that to be true. Are oligarchs a big part of the problem in Ukraine? Probably, because so much wealth in, is, is concentrated in the hands of a very, very few, six or seven individuals, and they also have political power and uh, control the media. And a lot of their power has been acquired uh, through what we here in the U.S. would consider imp improperly, improper ways? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment. The uh, head of Burisma, uh, Mr. Sochevsky, you familiar with him? I don't know him, but I know who you're talking about. Um, you know, George Kent testified a couple days ago that uh, was he was investigating for you know, stealing millions and millions of dollars, uh, some of which had been <clears throat> supplied by uh, the U.S. 
Great Britain, uh, subject to an investigation, um, trying to get the money back. That was a big part of uh, Mr. Kent's uh, initiatives when he was when he was there. Uh, that a, a bribe was paid um, um, to the prosecutors, and and Zochevsky was was uh, let off the hook. This was in 2014. Is this uh, something that you're familiar with? I've heard about it. This was before my arrival. Uh, and I would just say my understanding, uh, but you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that the U.S. money that you're referring to was the um, money that we, um, uh, that we used to fund an FBI team that was embedded uh, with uh, the prosecutor uh, general's office to go after, uh, uh, not to go after, but to, to do the investigation of um, Burisma and Zlochevsky. Um, Mr. Kent testified that this, this bribe was paid, the prosecution uh, went away, uh, and you know, essentially nothing has been you know, further done with regards to Burisma. Is, you know, during your tenure in Ukraine, has, has there ever been any focus on, on re-examining allegations, uh, whether it's at Burisma or other uh, powerful um, interests like, like Solchevsky, re-examining it? Uh, is that on, on the part of the Ukrainian government? Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Trying to lean on the, on the various prosecutors general to clean up the, the oligarchical system? I think, yes, there have been uh, some, some efforts, and as I mentioned earlier in my testimony, um, the U.S. Uh, was um, welcoming of um, Mr. Lutsenko's nomination to the position of um, Prosecutor General, because we were hoping he would clean that up. Um, that, in fact, is, is not uh, what happened. And because, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to um, a, a U.S. audience, but uh, in Ukraine in the former, and in the former Soviet Union more broadly, including in Russia, um, justice, the justice system, whether it's the, um, whether it's, you know, cops on the beat, whether it's investigators, whether it is prosecutors, whether it is judges, are used as a um, tool of the political system to um, be used against your political adversaries. And so I think that, um, going back to your question about Burisma and Zlochevsky, my understanding, this, this was, as I told you earlier in the previous uh, deposition, uh, this did not loom large when I arrived. Um, I arrived uh, in um, uh, 2016, August 2016. Uh, but over time, my understanding was that the, that the case was um, basically sort of on a pause, that it, it, was, it, it uh, wasn't an active case, but it also was not fully closed. And that is a way, as I uh, mentioned before, for um, those in power to keep a little hook in mm -hmm. to Burisma and Mr. Zlochevsky. And, and right around the time the, the bribe was paid, uh, they, Burisma undertook an effort to spruce up their board, and they had, and I believe, the president of Poland and some other luminaries. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I don't exactly know what the timing of all of this was. Okay. But um, yes, I mean, to the elements. And, you know, one of the folks they added the, to the board was the vice president's son, Hunter Biden. Um, which, you know, raises questions, is he a, a genius on the corporate governance front? 
Uh, is he a genius with the Ukrainian oligarchical systems and, and cleaning that up, or was he just added to the board because he's the vice president's son? Was that ever, um, you know, a concern, or at least the perception of that concern uh, addressed? As I said, I arrived in August of 2016, um, you know, several months before the elections and several months before uh, President Trump took office. And uh, it was not a focus of what I was doing in, in that six-month period. Okay. Was, was the issue ever raised at all? Um, you know, not... He not was still on the board, I think, at the time. Yeah, my understanding from newspaper accounts is that uh, he just recently uh, left in 2019. Right. Uh, I never met him, um, never, uh, never talked to him. Um, and I'm sorry, what was your question? He was still on the board when you arrived at Post and was just wondering if, if at least the perception problem was, was brought to your attention as the ambassador. Um, we, I was aware of it because, as I told you before, in, in the deposition, uh, there had been a, um, in terms of the preparation for my Senate confirmation hearings for Ukraine, uh, there was a, a, a question about that okay. and, a, and a select answer. So I was aware of it. Okay. Yes. Um, in, in your deposition, you, you acknowledged that the, the president has longstanding concerns about corruption in Ukraine. Is that true? Um, that's, that's, that's what he says. Um, well, going back to, um, there was a, a meeting with President Poroshenko in September of 2017 in the Oval Office, and I believe you testified that, you know, he expressed his concerns then. Yeah, he said that a friend of his had told him that Ukraine was the most corrupt country in the world. Okay. Um, several uh, witnesses have testified that the president um, has concerns that there are certain elements of the Ukrainian establishment that during 2016 were uh, out to get him. Is that something you were aware of at any point in time? Well, I'm certainly aware of it now. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, press attention on that. Um, it was not. It was not brought to my attention during the two and a half years that I served under President Trump as uh, our ambassador to Ukraine. We've gone through the deposition some of these these elements that um, you know maybe they loom larger now, but you know in hindsight. Was there any discussion at the embassy that there's these indications of some Ukrainians trying to, you know, at least advocate against then-candidate Trump? Actually, there weren't. I mean, we, we didn't really see it that way. Um, and were you aware of, uh, I know Mr. Nunes mentioned this earlier, the, uh, the consultant Alexander Chalupa had uh, reportedly, at least according to her and according to... Um, you know, Ken Vogel at the Politico um, was trying to work with the Ukrainian embassy in D.C. to, you know, trade information, share leads of that sort, sort of thing. I saw the article. I, you know, didn't have any further information um, about that. Um, and did you see the article at the time, or did you only did that only come to your attention subsequently? It's certainly been brought to my attention subsequently. Um, I think I did see something to that effect at the time as well. And, and, you know, you're the ambassador in country at this point. Did, did you aim to get to the bottom of that? Because 
you know, if true, if the reporting's true, if what Mr. Lupa told uh, Mr. Vogel is accurate, um, that would be concerning, correct? Well, I, I was the ambassador in Ukraine starting in um, August of 2016. And what you're describing, uh, if, if true, as, as you said, um, what you're describing took place in the United States. So if there were concerns uh, about uh, what um, Ms. Chalupa was doing, I, I think that that would have been handled here. And, and do you know Ms. Chalupa? I don't believe so. Have you ever met her? I, I don't think so. I mean, if she worked for the Ukrainian embassy, it's possible that I met her in a large group or something, but I don't, I don't believe I know her. Um, are you aware of the role that investigative journalist uh, Mr. Leshenko played in publicizing the, the uh, Manafort uh, black ledgers? Yes. And he, he, he publicized some information in a pretty, pretty grand way in August of 2016 and almost immediately um, coincided with Mr. Manafort leaving the Trump <clears throat> campaign. Um, was there anything about that issue when it was occurring that concerned you? Well, I certainly noticed it because I was, you know, a, a week or so away from arriving in Ukraine. Um, I think that from a Ukrainian perspective, I realize we are looking at this from an American perspective. Uh, from a Ukrainian perspective, I think that what um, Mr. Lyshenko and others uh, who were looking into the Black Ledger were most concerned about was actually not Mr. Manafort, but um, former President Yanukovych and his political party and the amount of money that they allegedly stole and where it went and so forth. I, I, I mean, I think there's just a difference in perspective depending on which country you're in. Um, but you can understand the president, at least from his perspective, looking at these facts, it certainly is reasonable to conclude that there are elements of the Ukrainian establishment that are, are advocating against them at this point in time, correct? Well, you know, just speaking about Mr. Lyshenko, uh, he's an investigative journalist, as you said, and he um, got access to the Black Ledger, and he published, uh, he published it, as uh, I think journalists would do. And uh, again, I, I'm not sure that that I don't have any information to suggest that that was being, that was targeting um, President Trump. But the way the events unfolded, it, it, I mean, Mr. Manafort was, you know, subsequently left the campaign and it, it certainly did begin a, a period of interest in, you know, Manafort's ties to, to uh, Russia and so forth. I think, <clears throat> again, uh, I think that um, that may have been the effect here in the United States. And um, obviously it was of interest to journalists and others here that Mr. Manafort was um, former President Yanukovych's political advisor and he was the uh, political advisor, head of a campaign here. Um, and so we all know that there have been court cases and so forth. Uh, where Mr. Manafort was found uh, guilty of, of certain actions. Um, but at the end of the day, President Trump won the elections. With Mr. Lyshenko's reporting, I mean, there, there's been a question of whether all the information that he, he published was authentic, correct? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? There's been a, you know, some have questioned whether the information Mr. Lyshenko published was all correct or whether it was doctored. Okay, I, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Um, 
you know, Ambassador Charlie, during the August timeframe, he, he wrote an op-ed in The Hill um, taking issue with then-candidate Trump. Were you aware of that when it occurred? Yes. And did you have any communications with the ambassador to express concerns? No. Um, and how frequently did you communicate with, with the ambassador? Obviously, you're in different posts in different countries. But. Yeah. Um, didn't actually um, see him or uh, talk to him that so often. So you, you weren't in frequent communication? No. C can you see how, you know, writing an op-ed, even, you know, given the substance, you know, we've discussed the substance of it, that there's <coughs> sensitivities, um, but can you see how just the, the simple fact of writing an op-ed, the Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S., might create a perception that there are elements of the Ukrainian establishment that were advocating against then-candidate Trump? My recollection of the of that op-ed was that he was taking a um, he was critical of a policy position uh, that um, President Trump had with regard to Crimea and whether Crimea was um, you know a part of Ukraine or a part of Russia. That's a tremendously sensitive issue in Ukraine, and um, my recollection is that that is what uh, Ambassador Chali was writing about. And, and do you know whether the ambassador or anybody from the embassy tried to make contact with uh, the Trump camp to um, talk about their concerns before lodging an op-ed? I, I don't know. Okay. Um, you know, during the, the same time period of the run-up to the election, the um, minister of Akov had said some especially uh, candid things about then-candidate Trump on, on some various social <clears throat> media platforms. Are you aware of that? Yes, as a result of the deposition, okay. the previous deposition. But, but, but during the relevant time period when it was happening, you, you weren't aware of that? I, you know, I, I, I don't recall it. Okay. He, he, he's one of the more influential officials in the Ukraine, correct? Yes. And he, I believe he's one of the few that span both the Poroshenko uh, administration and the Zelensky administration. Yes, that's correct. Um, look, looking back on his comments, in hindsight, do, do you see how that might create a perception that a very influential Ukrainian was, was you know, advocating against then-candidate Trump? That he was doing what? I'm sorry? Just advocating. He was, he was out to get him. I mean, he, was, he, was, he said some real nasty things. Well, you know, sometimes that happens on social media, and I, I you know, are you asking me whether it's appropriate? Um, um, probably not, uh, but I would yeah. say that um, Minister Avakov has been, um, as well as others, both in um, uh, President Poroshenko's administration as well as in uh, the Zelensky administration, uh, has been a good partner uh, to the United States. As I think I told you before, he's a very practical man and looking for partners and getting the job done. I'm, I'm shocked that social media would be the site of negative comments. Um, the, um, you, you certainly can understand that the president, aware of Minister Avakov's you know, statements, aware of what Mr. Leshenko was up to, what Ambassador Charlie was up to, um, and these other elements that we've discussed, that there certainly forms a reasonable basis to wonder whether there are influential, uh, you know, elements of the Ukrainian establishment that were out to get the president. 
I, you know, again, I mean, I can't speak for uh, what um, President Trump thought or what others thought. I would just say that um, those elements that you've recited um, don't seem to me to be the Ukrainian, you know, kind of a plan or a plot of the Ukrainian government to work against um, President Trump or, or, or anyone else. I mean, they're isolated um, incidents. Mm -hmm. We all know, I'm coming to find out myself, that public life can be, you know, people are critical. And um, that does not mean that someone is, um, or a government is undermining uh, either a campaign or uh, interfering in elections. And I would just remind again that our own U.S. intelligence community has conclusively determined that the, um, those who interfered in the election were in Russia. Mm -hmm. um, you, you turn our attention to Ambassador Volker. He's, he's been a, a friend and colleague of yours for many years. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. Um, and I believe you testified he's a man of honor. I believe that to be true. And, and a brilliant diplomat. Yes. Um, and you have no reason to think that he would be undertaking any initiative that was counter to U.S. interests? I think that he um, tried to do what he thought was right. The, turning our attention to the, the Trump administration's policy um, of aid, the aid package uh, to Ukraine, um, you've testified that during your tenure as ambassador, America's policy actually got stronger towards Ukraine. Is that accurate? With the provision of javelins to the Ukrainian military, yes, that was, that was really positive. And why was that important? Well, two things. Um, they are um, obviously tank busters, and so if the war with Russia all, all of a sudden accelerated in some way and tanks come over the horizon, uh, javelins are a very serious weapon to deal with that. That's number one. But really the more important issue is the, symbol the symbolism of it, that the United States is providing javelins to Ukraine. That makes uh, Ukraine's adversaries think twice. And the, the provision of javelins to Ukraine was, was blocked during the, the previous administration. Is that correct? I think they made a determination. Um, I was not a part of those discussions, but uh, obviously they had not yet made a determination about whether to provide javelins. But do you have any <clears throat> understanding of what the interagency consensus was with regard to javelins uh, during the previous administration? I think that um, most in the interagency wanted to provide javelins to Ukraine. Um, and so in the new administration under you know, President Trump, the ability to afford Ukraine this weaponry is a significant advantage, significant step forward? We thought it was important. And has it played out that way? Well, it, it has um, because it's a, it's a symbol of our strong support for Ukraine. Um, but when then, you know, this year there are questions as to whether or not our security assistance is gonna go through, that kind of undermines that, that strong message of support. The uh, Ukraine still has the ability to acquire the javelins though, correct? 
are, are you now talking about purchasing javelins Pur by the Ukrainian government? Yeah. Um, yeah. They do. And, that is my understanding. And I mean, the security I... sector assistance did go through. It was paused for 55 days from July 18th to September 11th, but it ultimately went through, correct? That's my understanding. Okay. You testified during your deposition that you were, you were proud of the efforts of the United States during your tenure to you know, supply this, this type of aid to, to Ukraine. Do, do you still, are you still happy with, with the decisions? Are you talking about the Javelin? The Javelin and also the, the just the, the whole aid package. Yes. Do you think it's sufficient? Do, do you think we're giving Ukraine enough money? Yeah, that's a hard question because one can always um, use uh, additional uh, funding that said, I think that, um, that the Congress has been very generous in voting for security assistance and other forms of assistance for Ukraine. I see my time is coming to an end, Mr. Chairman.